Just a little love note to all of our loyal free cookie listeners and to anyone who might be new to the show. This is an ad-free podcast. And we want to keep it that way. We want to make sure that we can just give you guys the awesome content, the great interviews. and Without the stuff that you have to fast forward. But in order to do that, we need your support. So if you could join us over at patreon.com forward slash free cookies and become a patron of the show, there are many tiers that you can join. You can throw us a dollar, you can do five. And it turns out we're going to start putting some content up for those of you who are hardcore free cookie supporters. We're going to make this worth your while. So if there's some of you out there who just listen to the show, and you feel like, hey, you know what? I could, I could spend two, three bucks a month. Great. If you guys need a little something as incentive, we're going to put some videos up on Patreon that are going to be exclusive to those of you who are free cookie monsters. And I mean, we're talking some good content. Like I'm going to take you inside my sneaker closet, like that kind of content, you know? And I will contribute recipes and perhaps every now and then our dog will give you a soliloquy. So again, that is patreon.com forward slash free cookies. Thank you. Thanks. I'm Catherine Budig. And I'm Kate Fagan. And this is Free Cookies, a humorous podcast filled with thoughtful conversations and offering delicious takeaways. And today. And today we are very excited to welcome back the WNBA. That's Kate air dribbling right now. She's an air dribble beatbox. (laughs) Who has made her point. Who needs to stop because she's actually a terrible beatboxer, which I am. And every time I beatbox, I think to myself, maybe I'll be better this time. And I'm never any better. But today we do have Lasia Clarendon on the show. They play for the New York Liberty of the WNBA, but stick around because this conversation is not about something else. in us. it's not about X's and O's in basketball. It is about so much more. So I'm, I'm so thrilled about having Lasia on the show today and also got us thinking about what has been happening current events in our world and we were looking at the WNBA and the work that they're doing around the say her name campaign and not only bringing awareness to Breonna Taylor but to the other black women and trans women who have lost their lives and how they are highlighting the women that need to be supported the, the families that need to be supported, which got us thinking about the hashtag challenge accepted mm-hmm. challenge, um, which was this challenge to post a black and white selfie of yourself. And the, you know, the supposed drive behind it was women supporting women. Yeah. And you can probably still see this on Instagram it's right now today. Probably right now. still everywhere. It's probably still happening. So I, neither Kate or I posted and it was something that was sitting weird in my tummy because initially I was like, Oh, a challenge, which I don't really love those in general, but I was like, okay, maybe I'll do it. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, I don't understand how posting a selfie of myself is highlighting or amplifying other women. You know, shouldn't the challenge be post a picture of a woman that has inspired you? Mm -hmm. Like that to me is the amplification of other women. And you actually even said, maybe I'll put up a post where I like do a square with like 50, 20 different women. And I was like, that sounds like a challenge to actually create that tile because that sounds like a lot of work. And even if I did that, I'm still leaving people out. And this is the other thing that really bothered me about it is that you technically weren't supposed to join the challenge if you weren't nominated. And yes, like, as you can imagine, I'm sure Michelle Obama got like 1 million nominations, but what about the people who didn't, didn't get, get it? nominated? My wife did not get nominated. No, I, I didn't get nominated. And, and that, 
there was a part of me that was like glad because then I didn't have to do you didn't have the to be questioning. Part of it. But at the same time, I also was taken back to high school. Yes. Where I was like, why didn't I get nominated? Why am I not part of the cool kids? Right. Like group? maybe I don't post enough on social to begin with. Maybe like, and I'm sure that millions of women felt the same way I did across Absolutely. Instagram. Which is, and then, I mean, that's completely obliterating the whole point initially behind it is to support other women. But it's like what it was really doing is leaving women out who maybe don't have a big enough platform or something along those lines. And my friend Gina Caputo, who's been on the show, who I freaking love, sent me a text the other day and she's like, yo, I saw that you didn't put up this challenge. What's going on? I know something's going on. And we had a long conversation and she brought up this really genius point where since quarantine and since George Floyd and, you know, this new wave of civil justice movement that we're experiencing right now, we have been thrown into the fire. We have been thrown into it. And there is no choice. If you want to survive this fire, you have to sharpen, you have to be forged. And our minds need to be in this place now where we don't just jump on the herd mentality when something is proposed and put in front of us, we have to look at it and go, okay, I see what you're trying to achieve. I'm not just going to do what you ask. I'm going to see if the way that I respond is the way that's going to actually push this agenda forward. Serve and amplify. a true purpose. Exactly. And putting up a selfie of yourself. And if this made you feel good, I'm not throwing shade at you, but I do invite you to look at it and understand, did that serve your ego for a blip? Like, did you get the hit of dopamine because somebody nominated you? Or did you really amplify other women? So that's that's really what yeah. I think needs to be done now. And, and we thought that was an important conversation to have on this episode of the podcast where we're highlighting the WNBA because we think they are serving as a prime example of women serving other women. Because yes. if you're paying attention to the WNBA and you will notice that their entire season is dedicated to hashtag say her name. They have Brianna Taylor on the back of their jerseys. When you watch a game, you will notice that when they are asked a question about the actual game that's happening, many of them will answer and say, not what happened on the court, but like, but we are on this court because we need justice for Brianna Taylor. Let's say that before we talk about the basket we just made or the quarter that we just played. And so that to us is, and the WNBA has done this for a long time, that is women supporting other women. Yes. That is the spotlight that WNBA players have by those ESPN cameras being on, being diverted by them to point at Brianna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, and wondering why there have been no arrests made. And so we wanted to contrast that with the challenge accepted on, on Instagram, which is at the, at the base of it, we're like, what work has been done here? Right. And if you're listening to this and you're part of it and we're ruffling your feathers right now, awesome. Like, look at that. Why are your feathers getting all floofy right now? Yeah, what, if I had been nominated, maybe I would have done it. I mean, that it's right. You and know, but that, that's what I want people to think about is that it's that instantaneous reaction instead of stopping and thinking before you do something. And we are entering a, a time in the world where you cannot just act. You have to think, you have to think about the repercussions. You have to think about what's harmful, what isn't harmful, what's helpful, what isn't helpful. And, you know, if you're like, and obviously there's like the whole, the, the Turkish impetus where this was supposed to be a way to highlight 
what's happening in Turkey right now. Um, it turns out if you go to Taylor Lorenz's page, she wrote an article about this for the New York Times and is debunking everything. That's not even the impetus for this challenge. I guess this challenge has been around in many different forms since about 2016. It's an Ouroboros at this point. It's an Ouroboros. <laughs> Good call, Kate. Um, yeah, I love it when you bring it back to myth. Yeah, I like it when you say f- if we've ruffled some feathers, so be it. So be it. So be it. I'm not sure if free cookies is usually a, a, a feather ruffler, but perhaps we are today. Right, but it's not a call out. It's a call up. And it's mm. important that we're all calling each other up right now and we can do better. We can do better. And you know better? Do better. But let's, uh, let, let's, exactly. bring, let's bring Leisha on. Leisha! Leisha Claridan is a point guard for the New York Liberty. They're the first VP for the WNBA Players Association. Leisha is against white supremacy, systemic racism, and is about defund the police. Leisha reimagines social accountability and goes by the pronouns she, her, they, them, he, and him, and is coming on Free Cookies today to educate us in all the ways around the work that they are doing. All right, we are now joined by Leja Clarendon. Leja, thank you so much for the time. Of course, anything for you too. <laughs> um, all right, let's uh, let's start here because Catherine and I were we we watched the opening game against the Seattle Storm. Well, can you tell us what was it like stepping onto the court last week, and not just because it's the first game of the WNBA season, but also because it was the first game of this season that means so much more to all of you. What was it like being able to be a part of that moment? It was a little surreal um, to see, you know, it's one thing for an idea, although I hate to say an idea because someone lost their life, but the idea that we could dedicate the season to Breonna Taylor to say her name, that we could have Black Lives Matter on the court. Like it's one thing, you know, to go from, a month or two before with planning and trying to get that across the finish line to then living it and being in the moment. So there's that of like, whoa, we actually executed all of this. And then um, the emotion of just the fact that we have to put our name on our backs and having to step on and like talk right before a basketball game too. that side of it. Like, I felt like I was going to throw up because just that like, oh my God, I have to talk live on ESPN right before we go play a basketball game back and tell the story of a woman who was killed and like kind of the weight of the world it can feel like at times. Um, so there was just so many mixed emotions that honestly just felt like out of body surreal at, at some times, but then the opportunity to be back and play. And so it was just a jumble of emotion. How much preparation did you do for what you would say? Was that something that you really ran by with y- your wife? Like what, how, how did that go into what words you wanted to speak in that moment? Yeah, I got over it a couple times. Like I didn't want to have a paper or a script. Just like, I mean, I know the story because we've talked about it, but we've been doing this work. We've been talking about say her name. So it was kind of one of those you're prepared and then you got to speak from the heart, but you knew the gist of what you were going to say and you just got to trust yourself that when you're put on the spot, <laughs> you can really execute it. Um, and it kind of had that one moment where I like had to take a deep breath, stumble and just like that you could see it like this is a lot, you know, um, and just the jitters that all went into it. But so I had I had some rehearsal. And I know that y- y- y'all are featuring Brianna right now, which 
obviously thank you from everyone for doing this because it's it's something that we talk about daily about the frustrations of the snail-like progress that seems to be made around her case. But I also know that the WNBA is focusing on other women who have lost their lives, you know, Sandra Bland, Tatiana Jefferson, Dominique Fells. Mm-hmm. Will, do, do y'all already have it planned out how, what the rollout is going to be like? Will you focus on Brianna for X amount of time and then kind of pass the baton to another woman who's, or, that's lost, lost their life? Like what, what's the approach for that? Mm-hmm. So we're actually working with the African-American Policy Forum, which is the organization along with Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, who started the Say Her Name campaign. Um, and so we just had a call with them yesterday morning to talk about kind of a calendar or a queue for how you roll out the rest of the season. And so we wanted to stay with Brianna Taylor for the rest of this week because it had only been opening weekend. And obviously she'll be on the players backs, um, and a very central figure throughout the season, but talking with them, um, because they also have the mother's network. So that's the network of mothers and sisters who've lost, um, they lost people to police brutality and violence. And so that network is already so well connected. So we're in conversations with them about who will highlight in the weeks to come. And then, you know, of course, specifically making sure we do something very unique and powerful around black trans women, because it's, mm-hmm. it's a super vulnerable population. And so um, we're working with an existing organization, which is always the way you want to go. Like people are already doing this work and we're just plugging in with them. So, so Lay, take us back to even before the beginning of June and George Floyd's murder when you're a professional athlete who has a season upcoming and yet we're in the middle of a pandemic. So even before you as WNBA athletes had to navigate how you wanted your messaging to be wrapped up in social justice, but when you're just dealing with will there be a season and how do you train in the middle of a pandemic, this is back in like March and April. Like, mm-hmm. What was that like for you trying to figure out how to stay in the shape of a WNBA athlete, but with those limitations of the coronavirus? <laughs> it's madness. <laughs> I was like, wait, can we cuss on here? Um, yeah, go for it. It was, <laughs> it was just insane trying to figure out um, the different just ways to be to stay fit. So one of the first things I did was get a, um, a spin bike. I didn't get a Peloton. I wasn't ready to like drop oh. that cash, but I got a, I got <laughs> a bike so and I signed up for the app. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Peloton, send me a bike. So <laughs> I right? just kind of, boot, I bootlegged it. <laughs> just got the app, got a little like cadence tracker. You know, so I put that in our room um, to try and stay in shape. And then it was working to you find You put like a Nerf like, hoop up, I'm assuming. That's a whole nother side of it. So there's the one is like staying fit, like just within your body of like conditioning is the one thing you don't want to lose strength, obviously. So finding spaces like I was like going to the Cal sand pits and where the, the beach volleyball team plays and doing workouts up there and kind of the daily struggle of like what's the weather going to be like can I work out outside uh and honestly the fear of like Jess having to come with me my wife because like people are being murdered for working out outside right like that like it's one thing to we like talk about it and then we forget like even people who are in the spotlight like experience racism like I'm I think people would assume like oh you're articulate you're in the WNBA you talk about social justice like that's not gonna happen to you and so even that daily weight and fear of like babe, I'm going to go like do this workout at the park. Like, can you come with me? And her trying to figure out around her schedule to make sure, you know, God forbid someone rolls up because they think 
you know, I get the cops called on me and I'm the next hashtag. And so mm. that weight alone, just training purely on your knees, you know, on concrete, trying to find grass, all of that struggle. And then the other side is like the skill of needing to play basketball. Mm-hmm. And so I was using like the home court app to dribble, like, and eventually like a month before I left, I finally got into like a private gym. So that was nice that I could just do shooting and just would come with me and we would do those type of workouts. What, what was the impact like on the, on your skill set? I know you said home court app, so dribbling is one thing, but being able to get court workouts in is another. Were, did, were you feeling when you did get back into a gym that you were behind or? Because judging from the game we just watched you in, I mean, we oh. were passionately texting your wife while we were watching you <laughs> about the level of fire that we were witnessing <laughs> while you were playing. I know, so, so whatever the, you did, it worked. Those back door cuts, damn. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but what was it like when you did get back on a court? Were you stressed about just getting into what you thought would be like skill shape for the season? Yeah, definitely. Like getting that month back on the court was like just having to, it's just like, you're okay. Like it's like riding a bike, right? Like you've been playing basketball all your life, like having to self-talk of like you didn't lose it. And like doing the first couple workouts and by the second one being like, oh, okay, I still got it. Like I'm making shots. I'm good. I'm good. I didn't forget how to play, but it felt like, that's the longest, I think it was like two or three months and gone without going in a gym, like shooting a basketball. And I don't know how long of my life, like even in the off season, when I take a month off, that's it. And then I'm back in the gym, at least doing some form of ramping up. And so to go that long with not touching a ball inside a basketball gym, shooting on a hoop is like insane. That just doesn't happen to us as a mm-hmm. as professional athlete. So some of that mentally, like we're always worried about, are we going to be in shape enough? Are we good enough? Are skill sets enough? And so kind of needing to come combat that and just trust that like everybody's in the same boat here. There's going to be a level of ramp up that it takes. And that's where going to the game. I was a little surprised having gone through all of that, that like, I actually feel in really good shape. Like, cause you just never know. Cause you can't simulate basketball shape. Um, and coming in, I was like, oh, wow. Like, all right, they, they paid off. Like I did enough. I was doing, I did it. We're here. I'm mm-hmm. making it. I'm not like gassed and winded and completely out of breath. And Leja, I was wondering about, so obviously for, for everyone, there's been this emotional impact of the pandemic with isolation and being away from the norm and society and, and socializing. And I, I'm curious what that's like as a team player, as a basketball player, where you're constantly with your teammates you're supporting each other, you know, ju- not just the, like, am I the, the fitness and like the, the skill set, but actually being with your team members. And we mentioned your amazing wife who, mm-hmm. who is pregnant and it's very exciting. And we're so happy for you. <laughs> what is, I mean, I, I can't imagine all the emotions that must've come up where it's like, you're back with your teammates, which I'm sure was phenomenal, but now you're away from your wife and you're, you're soon to be tiny little human what is mm-hmm. that how are you juggling all of those feelings oh, I mean counseling one shout out <laughs> yeah. to therapy take right. care of mental health right. weekly 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 yeah um so that's a big one just talking about it honestly and working through it because there's no way around it honestly it's just through it and so sometimes it's just sitting on zoom which that's a whole another beast right the fact that we <laughs> we're doing mental health through um, telecommunications, but you know, it's still a privilege to have that access. And so sometimes it's honestly just sitting on there and crying half the time Mm. with my, um, therapist of like how hard this is. Like, I don't think, 
I expected it to be this hard. I think I was like, we're going to play basketball. We're back. Like we're doing this like that, like have, you know, go hard mentality as an athlete. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, let's do this game mode. And then getting here, the heartbreak I felt like I'm getting teary eyed of leaving mm. Jess and leaving our fetus <laughs> growing inside <laughs> of her and how difficult that's really been. It has been like a weight and a tough battle. We've, we've spent time apart in seasons before, but we haven't in the last few because she's been able to work remotely and we've been together. And so it's really been heartbreaking. Like the scene at the airport alone was like the end of a movie or the beginning <laughs> scene of a movie. Like we just held each other and cried and cried. And it was like, I have to get on this plane. But I, I haven't felt heartbreak like that. And like, it just hurt and it's really tough and it's, it's hard. We're trying to find intentional time because it's one thing to text all day, right. And be like connected, but it's another thing to say, like, let's take an hour out of our day at eight o'clock and like have a FaceTime date and like really connect with each other and be intentional and maybe listen to a podcast or do something that like we really see each other in that space. And so we've tried to work really hard on doing that. Um, and it's just hard. It's really tough and you can't factor in the emotional weight of what everyone's going through right now. And I've been saying, it feels like you have your capacity is only 60%, right? Like the 40% to me feels like that's just surviving every day with everything going on. So you just don't have as much of a gas tank when you wake up every day. There's not, no matter what you do to try and fill it, it feels like the 40% is just surviving and the other 60 is like, all right, this is what I got to give today. And so the smallest things that normally were easy to do just feels so difficult and hard to do and survive at this time because of everything we're going through. Yeah. And then living inside of the bubble, um, the, the, the closest I can attempt to try to commiserate is going away to summer camp when I was a kid. Right. And then I only had to survive for like five days. Um, Uh that's a short summer camp. I went to week long basketball camp. I didn't go to like the three month long summer camp. Not so. like a lake and bow and arrow no, and no. stuff like so, that. Okay. But, but <laughs> I, I, how is the setup within the bubble? Can you kind of run us through what life is like and how you can describe it to the, the you know, the average listener here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're on IMG's campus and it's huge. It's like a really beautiful campus. Um, there's a few different living situations. There's the hotel, which is all single bedrooms. So if you're in the hotel, you have your own um, entirely own room. If you're in the lodge or the villas, which are two other, you also have your own room. No one's sharing a bedroom, but you have shared common space. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the villa or the lodge, you might have a two or three or four bedroom with teammates and a, sh- and a kitchen and bathrooms. And so some people decided they couldn't live without the kitchen. Some people wanted their own private time like me I was like no way I don't want to see you all that often <laughs> um and so it's a right there's good and bad there's FOMO with both situations like sometimes I'm like dang it'd be nice to just like see a teammate you know I, I can be a little isolated in the hotel and other times it's like thank god I didn't have to go back home with them because I'm tired of seeing everybody today and so those are the living situations um we have like grocery delivery and, and meal delivery services so we're on all the apps to get food delivered groceries delivered I've got a little toaster oven in my room, so I'm doing my little bagels in the morning. I've got a blender, got a Brita water filter. So kind of figuring out the whole hotel living, trying to make a little kitchen situation. Um, we also have like our three meals prepared. 
that everybody can eat um, during their stay. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The food's been pretty good. They've offered vegan options. They've offered mm-hmm. meat. Like they've, they've done a good job offering everything and really fresh like salad bar. And for me, that's been lit because like I love cooking, but I'm exhausted from the pandemic and cooking. Like the fact me that I can just go downstairs too. and they're like, take a pic. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like quinoa, thank you. Like, oh, you made that chicken. That wasn't me. Like even better. <laughs> just you. Oh, this watermelon is amazing. I didn't have to cut it up. <laughs> right. That's been a really, for me, a big, really stress relief, not having to worry about what I'm going to eat and cooking. Because um, as you know, like eating healthy, that's a, that's a challenge in and of itself, figuring out and meal prepping and planning and grocery shopping. Um, the other thing is we've got golf carts that players cannot drive, which is probably a great thing. So the trainers and coaches can drive them. Wait, you, we can you get can't? Rides. You're not allowed? <laughs> no, we're not allowed to drive them. It's like liability. Uh, but we all have bikes. <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to take a joy ride. Those are grown people, though. (laughs) With driver's license going 20 miles per hour. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's some controversy over that. I I can picture the drunk person getting on the golf cart. I'm just like, yeah, let's stay away from those. Because we can also drink. (laughs) Oh, okay. Okay. Um, But we do have, we all have like bikes. And so that's the campus isn't bigger than like a mile or so. So we like, I bike to practice every day. That's like my little independence. It's like, oh, I can get on my bike and go wherever I want. Any any time, any day, Mm -hmm. which means like the training room or the gym. Right. Um, But we have access to bikes. So that's kind of nice just to have a little bit of mobility. Um, Then there's a training room. And so there's kind of like this little triangle every day when on tough mental health days. I'm like, literally, like I just live in a triangle. Like I go. From my hotel, bike to the gym, <laughs> bike to get food, and around and around and around and around. So that's that's a little bit of the tough part, but it's a beautiful campus. You've got a pool. Um, the weight room's really nice. The facilities are are pretty top notch. Okay, excuse my basketball naivete, but I'm going to ask this for the non hardcore basketball listeners right now. How how long is this bubble season living going to go on for? It's going till September in the regular season, and then October is the latest date um, if you go through the finals, through playoffs. Okay. You good? Yeah, because I'm just trying (laughs) to conceptualize, like, how long you're going to have to look at these golf carts and not be able to drive them. I feel like you're going to reach a point where you're going to have all this resentment towards your bike or it's going to be like the most decked out bike with like streamers and like a little license plate and everything. Variety. You know, exactly. <laughs> that little piece of freedom was like, let's go. Like everyone on my team, I think got a bike. Like we like, we're like the bike game going to practice. Yeah, like, let's go. Liz, this is really like being a freshman in college all over again, yeah. honestly. Um, oh, literally. Yeah. Um, well, take us back to when a couple months ago or whenever it was that WNBA players were in conversations with the league about restarting this season. And I mean the point where uh, George Floyd murder had happened and you and you players knew that you needed to make this season also a platform. Like, how did you get to a place with the, the league where everyone, the players felt comfortable that the season would be about what they wanted it to be about? Oh, that's a lot of conversations, a lot of organizing. So first it was kind of like, can we play? Is it feasible? Like there was always on the side, no back of our mind. Like if we're going to play, like you said, it has to be social justice oriented. It has to be something bigger. There was a lot of players had to question 
of like, can you Black Lives Matter from the bubble? Like feeling like afraid that we were going to come in the bubble and be isolated from the world and all of a sudden not be able to like do the activism work. Um, and on the flip side, a lot of us like myself are arguing like, no, actually going in the bubble is going to give us a bigger platform because, right, we're going to be on ESP and we're going to have this national stage. So our strength is in numbers, having the 144 players together playing. And so those were a lot of conversations back and forth of like, what does it look like to do it from inside of here? Um, and then as far as getting it off the floor with the league was like, obviously the testing issues, the safety issues, like going around and around of like, is this really safe for us to come play? And there's some risk involved, of course, um, but getting to a really good place where we felt comfortable with the safety protocols we were going to put in place and comfortable with what like the bubble life was going to look like. Um, but still getting on the plane was an act of faith. <laughs> like, all right, mm-hmm. we're all going to do this. We're all trusting that like we're in this together and we're going to be committed um, to keeping each other safe. And the social justice front was credit to the league for as soon as the players were like, this is something we want to do. They were open to it. And, and I, that's credit to like the relationship that we've been building with Kathy and her team since the CBA of like, of course, sometimes we're on different sides of the table because it's a business and they have things they want. We have things we want as players, but ultimately our goal is to like grow this league um, into something amazing and something that leaves a long legacy for futures to come. And so the idea for the council came up and it was a no brainer on both sides. It was just a matter of um, the social justice council that we put together. It was a matter of like, how do we execute it and who's on it and what exactly is our mission? It was never a question of like, no, we won't do this. Um, There was questions of like, of course we have to get approval from the league and sponsors and stuff, but black lives matter on the court approval from Nike to put say her name on the back of the Jersey. So there was that kind of logistical stuff to go through. But as far as, Um, the league being on board with it was really nice to hear and feel because they wanted this to be player led. And so far it really has been. And they let us kind of take the lead on a lot of things. So Leisha, I'm trying to formulate my question here, but as someone who I grew up playing a ton of sports and then I kind of turned into a casual sports fan and then I married Kate. And, 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 now, then, and now what? Like the first, well, well, you know, like the first year of our relationship, especially when she's doing a bunch of radio for ESPN, like I knew all the hot takes because I was listening to her radio show and I was really impressed with myself. Like I knew things about like ice hockey. It was so weird. Um, but, but as someone who still loves sports, but I am not at the level that either one of you can commune with each other. It, it's interesting to watch the progression of kind of woke capitalism when it comes Mm -hmm. to sports and how, you know, back in the day, like when Colin Kaepernick started taking a knee and then Megan Rapinoe followed, like that was electric. That was ground shaking. I can't believe they're doing this for so many people. And now I just feel like that is expected. You know, I do feel like it's evolving into this is no longer this wild statement, but something that needs to be done. And I'm like, what do you see the progression of the sports world in their position in highlighting social injustice? And like, how are they going to be the mover and the shakers moving forward? Yeah, there's a couple things I see. One is like, we do definitely expect, like, you can't be, I always say like MJ anymore. Like, there's no time where like, he kind of got criticized. We can go all into that. But like, mm-hmm. right. athletes can't just show up and play anymore, right? Like, we're asking them what they stand for. Um, which you could argue on either side is a good or a bad thing. So 
you have to take a stand. Like you have to believe in something like people or reporters are going to ask you. And so that's the world we live in right now where sports are very political and they've always been very political. We're just finally kind of all acknowledging and expecting it. Um, And then the other side is really interesting. What you talked about is like the woke capitalism side of it, because even what, two years ago, still a year ago, Black Lives Matter was like, like this like outlandish thing to say. Mm -hmm. And now like everything from major corporations who don't even have black people in their leadership teams are putting out statements and saying black lives matter. Right. Yeah. Um, everything across the board. And so it's really interesting and it's the trend is now, I, I just hope there really is follow up and it's not similar to what we've seen while putting like a pride sticker on things is really important, right? Like representation matters, put seeing a pride sticker, even on absolute vodka, like on all these different brands has meant a lot to the queer community for me going to pride parades, seeing it, but then you see how it's become kind of co-opted. Like you just stick a rainbow on anything. Mm-hmm. And again, the question becomes like, well, do you actually have inclusive policies? Do you hire trans people? What's your bathroom policy look like? You have queer people in your leadership teams within your companies. And so I think we've got people have gotten away with that as far as pride goes. And similarly now, I think with Black Lives Matter movement is like just throwing a freaking Black Lives Matter sticker on stuff and saying like, yeah, Black Lives Matter, because it sells right now. Like, it's cool Mm -hmm. to say Black Lives Matter. It's great to be on the, quote, right side of history. But like, are you really on the right side of history? And I think that's the interesting side with sports is like with the kneeling and how I think some part of it has become performative, which is why I was really and like the league, really the players wanted to organize, like not being on the court for the anthem, because we already know, like we've done that. And that's not saying there's not still some impact there, but for us, it was like, we've done that. We've now, we think it's bigger at this moment now. Like we think not being on the court for the anthem is a bigger protest than standing out there and, or sorry, being out there and kneeling because at this moment, in time, kneeling has become a little more performative. It's become like, where was everybody kneeling when Cap lost mm-hmm. his damn job? Like, where was everybody kneeling mm-hmm. when X, Y, and Z happened? But now, like, there's not, like, what's on the line? Donald Trump tweeting you, I don't like kneeling. <laughs> there's not really as much on the line right now. And that's no shade to people who are kneeling and are taking a stand. I'm sure it's causing people's families to have questions and, and different things still. But it's become acceptable and that's when people are doing it so for us as the w always pushing the envelope was like no like we're not going to be on the court for the anthem because it's become this thing that we're we're beyond that like people are being murdered still like it's like we can't be out there for the anthem like we are directly protesting it because equality and justice are literally not offered to everyone in this country and until they are like i wouldn't want to be on the court with the anthem I don't know if this metaphor exactly works, but I, I often think of the WNBA as like the tumbler of the sports world in that that's where the things first happen. And then they migrate to Instagram and Facebook, but like the, the ideas, you know, the ideas often start in the WNBA, like the way we see gender, the way we see race, the way we see so many of these different things. The WNBA has been talking about that stuff for mm-hmm. a decade plus. And what has it been like to be a part of the WNBA? And I don't want to give it too much tr- credit, you know, because there have been, you know, battles along the way, I'm, I'm sure. But at the same time, as someone inside of a league that 
is often ahead of the curve when it comes to gender and race and sexuality. How do you, how do you feel about it when you compare that to the actual salaries that you earn and the space in the, in the media landscape that you guys are still fighting for? There seems to be like a struggle there between the, the brilliant, smart humans inside of this league and yet the, um, the space you guys can carve out for yourselves in the mainstream. Like, how do you think about those two things? Yeah. I'm like, welcome to being a black woman in this world because it's like stretching, getting a dollar out of two nickels, right? Like it's literally, and it's sad because that's kind of what we're used to doing and what we've had to do. And it shouldn't be, we should be able to like, get more resources and have more salaries and, and shine and all the brilliance that we are. Um, but in some ways it's been really even healing this last week to see the media attention we were getting. And I hope it stays sustained and like ESPN picking up the 13 more games was like, wow. And seeing the orange hoodie sell out, it's like, Oh my God, like, I know we're not freaking crazy. Like it's not like we can sell things like our, Mm -hmm. it's like being in it and knowing how brilliant we are. And then like connecting the dots for the outside world. Like you're saying, what is it like to be on the front end of all of this, but not kind of being the tumbler, like being like, hello, we did that first. Like we were, we know like, it's like we're screaming into the abyss at times. So um, I think one with the salaries, we've seen a step up. Of course, it's not where we want to end, but I think we really set the foundation with the new CBA for the next wave um, to keep building upon that and to really keep investing in the league. And then on the other end, I think hopefully we're seeing at this time is that media's national media, because we have a lot of local and smaller media that covers us very consistently. So I never want to throw them like under the bus to forget about them. But on the national, national stages like the ESPNs um, is that they're seeing even more of the value of what we can do and picking us up. And so the healing part was like seeing that many games, like the fact that I could just turn the TV on and click through and be like, Oh, WNBA game. Like mm-hmm. after we played that first day, the next day it was like, Oh, another game. Wow. CBS. Wow. ESPN. Like, it was amazing. Like the fact that we weren't having to like click on league pass and like find the game and be like, ah, it's blacked out. Shoot. Okay. Let me try and get an app and get my friends login for their dish network to see if I can get this Mm -hmm. local game in this other place. Like that's how it should be. And it's like, we're reminded that when you have the resources, like things can go well. Like it's not that our league isn't brilliant. It's, It's like, we've lost the investment and that's, infuriating part that people don't connect the dots they just want to say all the negative things about us but it's like wow look at what happens when you really invest in us and tell our stories yeah and other people want to tell our stories people want to wear the hoodie because our league's cool and because we're putting the weight behind it and so that's where I hope we're growing and that's given me some semblance of like hope and joy to just see that like this is possible like look where the W can go when we're actually truly being invested in Mm -hmm. it's like I really hope it sustains because it's been a little slice of joy for me to just experience as a player. Yeah. And, and, and one of the, one of the parts that I think the WNBA is, or the, the players within it are so ahead of the curve is in gender. And from a personal perspective, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about pronouns because I, I wanted to know from your perspective, lay going by they, them, like what, how has your understanding of 
of self e- evolved over the years from when like I, you know, when I first met you, which I think was the night of the Devin Bay draft, if not the final four at Cal a couple uh, months previous, mm-hmm. but how, how has, how has your sense of self evolved and what has helped shape it? Oh man, it's evolved a lot. It's most recently, um, just coming to understand a like, I do identify as trans and understanding that like trans is an umbrella term and there's a lot of space within that because my understanding of what that meant for a lot of years was of course within this very binary lens of like, okay, if you're a woman, you're trans, you want to be a guy, right? Like you're female to male or you're male to female. I didn't understand that there was any space like in between for non-binary people or gender queer people that it could mean a lot of different things. And so that one is like what comes with language and understanding. We have more space to figure out where we fit in. And so that's been a really interesting um, self-exploration of like, this is who I've always been, but I just haven't had the words or the space to understand that this is where I fit. For so long, the only thing I knew was like, you could be just like a tomboy who's a girl who's gay. And I was like, cool, that was enough. And that was surviving. (laughs) It was just to be like a chick who wears boy clothes. Um, but now there's just been so much more freedom and understanding. And that's been modeled by like one of my really good friends who, um, had top surgery, who actually, um, started taking tea and like, but was born female, but didn't want to become male. Like they use all pronouns. So he finally, she finally modeled for me what it could look like to have that space to be trans in the middle. And now we've started to see that a lot more. Um, even when someone's like India Moore, who's like would present as a trans woman, but who goes by they pronouns. And so there's a few things at play there. And I've started to just um, be more open to it and be more um, willing to be curious. And like I said, when you get more words and language, you find more space to fit in. Um, and most recently, I've gone through a lot of like really owning all pronouns. Like I be really upset when people misgendered me um because I didn't feel seen like let's say like I, the TSA guy at the airport <laughs> it's like when oh. you have to stand in that stupid freaking thing with your hands above Kate's your head it's been there so many yeah. times but, yeah oh my god and there's literally a blue and a pink button that they push like I've seen it so you're standing there and they're just looking at you and you're like oh my god like I want to cut this person out and I'm like I'm a girl like I yell at them sometimes so they like push the button or they're like oh we need a male assist or they say sir like I used to get really um upset by that but I've then I kind of got into space where I was more comfortable with like gender effing people right so them not knowing what gender I was like as I started to feel more comfortable with who I am as someone who's in between both genders of like, huh, I bet you don't know. And that's fun. Cause like, you really want to know, <laughs> but you, but it's messing with your mind. Um, and then getting more comfortable with the space where, um, there's times that he or him feels really comfortable because of like the masculine parts in me, the parts that make me feel seen. And so I really have become comfortable with all pronouns, like with respect, obviously if you're hang me to like shame me or something like people do on like trolls do on Twitter. They're like, Mm -hmm. Oh, it's like Patrick Mahomes. And I'm like, he's hella cute. Like, thanks. Like that's actually a compliment. Um, (laughs) or some NBA guys, but they're using it to be like, Oh, that's a dude playing. Right. And so with respect, like there's, they all feel really good to me because I do feel like I body, like all parts of humanity in that way. It's so interesting hearing you speak about this because it sounds like maybe this is less of 
I'm, I'm trying to say like less of a evolution and more it, it like I, I love that you're like the pronoun is totally fine depending on who it's coming from and, and how intent, it's yeah. yeah the intent mm-hmm. behind it and and I love that I feel like maybe what you're getting at is that a label there just is no label for you and and maybe there's no label for why like why is humanity so fixated on that pink or blue button that they're going to push and I don't know if there's a world of future without gender pronouns. I like would if, say that mm-hmm. every, well, not that every future movie I've seen, we're always wearing the same uniform. Right. <laughs> that is interesting, actually. <laughs> we're just homogenous. Yes. Right. <laughs> gender has come to a center point in the future. But anyway. Um, yeah, I think the, 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 sorry, go ahead, Lay. I mean, I don't know if you had any comment back on that. I'm just thinking oh, out loud over here. Yeah. <laughs> I always um, joke with Jess, like now that of course we're be- going to become parents is that like, what are our kids going to push us on? And we're going to be like, they're going to bring someone home and we're going to be like, Oh, what pronouns do you use? And they're like, mom, like we don't even do like, why are you asking that? Like, I, I hope we get to a place where we do like the things we fought for. They're like, Oh, like yeah. in, a, in a sense of privilege because we've gotten so far that they're like, we don't even use pronouns. Like just call them by their name or or we use X or Z or whatever new word or language we come up with that it's going to evolve. And I know the thing like we fought hard for like past generations, maybe fought hard for lesbian or butch. And now we're like, we're queer. And, and they're like, what? Like we fought hard to be lesbian. <laughs> and now we're like, ah, eh, now we're, we're done with that. <laughs> yeah. All the things that each generation keeps fighting for. I just hope I have a lot of hope that like, it's going to be something like my pronouns aren't even invented yet. They don't even exist. And I hope they do for my kids and for the people to come. Yeah, the, the part where you said earlier just about under the, the way the language empowers us and frees us as we learn more language. Because I, mm-hmm. I always think of like the obvious example of people who love to snow ski. If you're up there in the mountains and you know that, you have a hundred different words for snow. And you, you have a word that snow means if it's like kind of sleety or icy, right? Like I might know seven of them, right? I'm like, okay, it's soft. I'm over here trying to count different ways to say snow and I'm very limited. It's just like, you know, it's soft, (laughs) it's powdery, it's, it's icy, right? But if you know how to ski, you know, a hundred different terms. And the, another person who knows that language knows exactly what you mean by all of these terms. And yet we've got like large percentage of the population who act like introducing a they, them pronoun like they, they could never in a million years wrap their heads around introducing that into mm. the language or or whatever new pronouns we haven't yet invented and yet mm-hmm. all it took was like one season of skiing for you to come up with a completely mm. different language for snow and yet you can't yeah. even like absorb one additional pronoun into your world which obviously means like it's less about the actual language and more about people just being unwilling to be uncomfortable and mess up and learn. And just instead of, Mm -hmm. so I I love that whole idea of like in the future, there's maybe pronouns we don't even know yet. I really hope so, man. I really hope so. And I hope even normalizing because normalizing they and them for what we have right now, right? Language is not perfect. People argue like, oh, it's plural. It means multiple. Like actually funny story when I told my dad, because Jess and I wanted to use, like we're trying not to already put gender on our kid because one, we don't know their sex and we don't know their gender. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. they're just, but they're not an it, they're a being. So we were calling them they or them. So we told my dad like, oh, they something. And he's like, what are we having? Are you guys having twins? And so that was so funny. <laughs> like we're like, no. Yeah. Well, I was like, dad, they is in like, not boy or girl, not here. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. 
And so those are like funny moments and the limits of language and just like yeah. we're all trying to do the best with what we can. It happened to a couple people actually. They were like, they, them? Or like, no, no, them, like, you know. Right. The, the plural like, assumption like, like, <laughs> is the most confusing aspect of it where it's like, how can we nix out the plural part so we people don't misinterpret? But Right. But the people who hyper-focus on that, like, that's a funny story, but I've heard people who hyper-focus on it of like, we need to come up with a different turn. I'm like, people are dying. Like, you can use they or them. Like, this is like, we're getting fixated on correct language or pronunciation when like, people are being murdered. Like, trans women are being murdered. Like, calling someone they or them is survival. Like, that's the difference mm. in someone maybe feeling seen enough at their workplace or at school that like they don't want to die by suicide or like you know feeling like this is this really is like I can joke with the privilege of like I hope I get to the point where we're not even thinking about these terms but for so many like their basic humanity is not even being recognized they're being misgendered in in their um in the newspaper after they're they're died by family members by police Mm. by so many things so people like getting outside themselves, like you said, Kate, be uncomfortable for two freaking seconds. Like this is bigger than your discomfort with words or language. This is literally human beings who are experiencing something that's really hard to exist in, in the U S with the way we have very strong binaries and very strong power dynamics around those binaries. Like we don't want people to exist in the middle. We want to know if you're a guy, cause then you're supposed to act this way. We want to know if you're a woman, because then you're supposed to be subjugated and act this way. If you're in the middle, like how do I know how to treat you? Mm-hmm. And that's the question. Well, Leja, I can't tell you uh, how amazing it's been being able to watch what you've been doing in the WNBA and watch what the WNBA as a whole has been doing. Not just, I, I know this season is so important, but also over this last decade. It's just, I think it's one of the most powerful, unseen organizations and places that's doing the change. And so, we're very thankful that, that you took the time to talk to us today. Um, and that was also my way of transitioning to our very silly last question, um, which is, as you can imagine, because it's the Free Cookies podcast, Leisha. So the question that we always have to end with is, what what is your favorite cookie? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely chocolate chip with some type of nut. Like chocolate mm. chip with like walnut. So get the crunch and the chocolate. And now would this cookie well, in your dream scenario be um, chewy, soft, no, or thin no, and crunchy? Mix. Okay, yeah. mix. So that you want the sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Now the, I'm getting all excited. I'm like, ah. I know. Describe like, it to me. Is it, is it homemade? Does it come from a bakery? Or do you like the when it comes from a box? You know, because sometimes those Some people cookies oh, are like, what's up? Homemade. It's homemade or bakery. I don't do store-bought cookies. I like, that's a waste mm-hmm, of time. Mm-hmm, I'm a snob. Mm-hmm. I'll own it. Like, <laughs> if it's not real, I'm not wasting the time or the calories. <laughs> I want the real deal. So bakery or, or homemade. It's got, like, a, the perfect mix, like me, in the middle of <laughs> crunchy <laughs> on the outside and on the bottom a little bit, but enough, like, chewy in the middle. So mm. I don't want, like, the mm. cookie doughy too melt in your mouth, but I don't want the, like, chips ahoy cracks in your mouth no it's not a pie it's a cookie yeah respect yeah (laughs) and then so the chocolate melts but then you get a little texture which i love with all desserts from the nuts in it and then you gotta have a glass of oat milk or almond milk or something on the side okay oat milk experience 
Does it need a, to be a little chilled? I like my oat milk to be iced when I'm eating my cookies. She does. She has. She puts ice and oatly oat milk, obviously, in a glass. I'm um, very specific about how I like my <laughs> oat milk with my cookies. <laughs> yeah, the colder the better. Yep. It's got to be nice and chilled. Uh, some dipping, some eating, biting the cookie, then taking a sip of the milk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very different experiences. Yes. <laughs> oh um, and I, then never just one. You got to have at least two. And this is why I don't buy cookies and make them at home because I right. eat like six. Because if you have one, you spend the whole time eating it kind of like in a defensive stance because you're like, this is the only yeah. one. Damn it. But if you have two, you have the second one to look forward to while you're eating the first. Yes. It's very true. Yes. Oh, yes. my gosh. Oh, uh, uh, Well, Leisha, thank you so much. Um, we really appreciate you taking the time from from the bubble. And um, keep keep doing the awesome work that you've been doing and that every, you know, all of those athletes there have been doing, we appreciate it here from the outside. We can't wait to keep watching you on the court and to see everything that you're bringing off of it. And, you know, we respect you so deeply and love you. Thank you. Love you both so much. All right, go ride your bike somewhere. (laughs) Go get that bike. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, 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 Lay. That'll do it. That will do it. And for all of y'all who have become patrons of the show, or if you need a little mm. tantalizing temptation to join our Patreon. I think we're alone now. Well, we've got the perfect little treat for you because Lindsay Collins, who produces this show and is also the host of F&B Radio and is a phenomenal chef, has taken the time to teach me how to make a peach galette. So we have two parts up, one, how to make the dough, two, how to make the galette. And if you were listening to this, that information is up on our Patreon. But guess what? You can't access it unless you're a patron of the show. So if you want to join us, you can join us at patreon.com forward slash free cookies and it means the world to us because this is how we pay her. <laughs> and also, if you want to know the difference between a galette and a pie, I'm the person that you need to come ask. Because the difference in my mind is that one is upside down and one is not upside down. One looks like it's been turned upside down and one It's really isn't. more that one is folded into itself and mm. one has an edge, like a perimeter versus a tuck. So it's not like a galette is like a pie that you dropped on the floor. Does and galette then you- in French mean like envelope or something like that? Probably. Probably. The French had it right. I'm sure our French listeners are not pleased right now. <laughs> if you want to follow Free Cookies on Instagram, it's at Free Cookies Podcast, or you can email us at Gmail, freecookiespodcast at gmail.com. Or please leave a review and rate our show on Apple Podcasts because you know what? It helps others find the program. And because if you don't, then we have nothing to talk about in the last couple of minutes of the show. And it becomes a really sad pity party. And thankfully, Two lovely humans have ooh, ooh, left us mm, some mm, five-star mm, reviews mm, with very mm, kind mm, words. So I want to say thank you to Seton987654. And I want to say thank you to Laura Brusco, which Laura Brusco, I hope that's a play on Lombrusco, because if it's a play on Lombrusco, or if your name is actually Laura Brusco, but that's so cool because your name is really similar to Lombrusco. And that is one of my favorite drinks. And it turns out that I had read these reviews before we pulled them up at the end of the show. And one of you said something very nice about me in the review and I really appreciate it Yeah, and and Laura, my feelings are only marginally hurt that Kate (laughs) is the only one who asks insightful conversations for this podcast, but I'll get over it because I'm going to go stuff my face with a galette. Can I have the galette too though? 
Um, so I, I get, get to more glut because your questions are so insightful and I'm a good eater. So I will go <laughs> eat the food. Well, I'm just, I'm just pointing out that I got both the compliment and the glut in this conversation. So this is going to be great. That's right. So you can send all of your letters of concern to, um, at Catherine Budig DMs. <laughs> we should sign off now. <laughs> Bye.